We are looking at the book of Judith today. Now, if you are a visitor or you were not here and don't know why we're doing this, these are books of the Bible that were important to, uh, or stories rather, that were very important to the Jews. They were written mainly between the Testaments, and that is where they live in Catholic Bibles of all stripes, whether that be Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Coptic uh, Christian Church, any of those. They exist there. Now, they don't all have the same list, but we are looking at those that are in almost all of them. And today is our second book, the, uh, the book of Judith. We start with the story of a Jewish woman. And the questions that this uh, story asks us are as valid now as they were then. Who is the Lord? Remember, we just talked about that in the book of Revelation. Is it Domitian or is it Jesus? In this particular case, is it Nebuchadnezzar or is it Jehovah? Who is the Lord? How does the Lord work? Is it through the armies of Nebuchadnezzar or through the armies of Antiochus Epiphanes or is it by the hand of a woman? So, let's have a look. Is this book history? No. Is it inspired literature? No. Uh, I don't know of any of the churches that include it in their Bible that consider it uh, Holy Scripture. They, they consider it an important story. It is a historical novel. And how I know it's not inspired and not uh, historical? Well, it is set in the 18th year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. That's a year in which Jerusalem was captured and destroyed. But there are a lot of inaccuracies in it. Nebuchadnezzar is called king of Assyria when he was king of Babylon. And that's easy to get confused in scripture, but that was a whole different place. He is said to be ruling from Nineveh, but that city had already been destroyed by the time this book, or rather, in the time that this book is set. At several points, it said the exile and return had already taken place. It had not. It all takes place in the city of Bethulia. And as far as we can tell, there was never a city called Bethulia. In other words, it wasn't set up. This book wasn't written to fool you into thinking of its history. It is a morality tale. Do you know the term morality tale? Uh, most, uh, those of you of a certain age grew up, when I believe it was ABC, that would run after-school specials. And they were always morality tales. Be nice to the weird kid. You know, don't be mean to that person. You should always tell your, it was a morality tale. I always loved the veggie tales when they were really big, and uh, especially in the, the late 90s, and they, were, they just surged into prominence for a while because they actually made fun of that concept that everything had a moral at the end and you had to now stop and tell the moral. Well, this book was written as a morality tale. There's no record of any city named Bethulia or anything like the crisis described in the book or of any woman named Judith. So why are we taking any time with it? Because of when it was written. It was written during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, sometimes called Antiochus IV. Uh, it looks like Antiochus, but the way they pronounce names. Antiochus Epiphanes. He was perhaps the most vile despot to ever trample upon the people of God. And when you've had a Nebuchadnezzar do it, that's saying something. This is a man that marched his people in and killed the, um, 
the Christians, the, he, rather the Jews, just didn't, uh, made them work on, Sabbath, on the Sabbath, refused to let them worship in the temple, and in fact, marched into the temple, into the holy place, took the stuff, and sacrificed pigs on the altar. He did everything he could to demoralize the people of God. Now, they need a pick-me-up. They need assurance that one day this is going to be all right. And so this book is written about what had happened the last time they were in this situation with Nebuchadnezzar. It combines sex, war, violence, and religion. So why not read it? It also is a book of irony. It has a lot of wordplay in it, which you don't really get because we're not Jews that read in Greek, but we'll bring up a couple of them this morning. Let's take a look at the message in this half hour or so we've got this morning. We would have had longer, but the preacher went on and on and on. Yes, I know. We, did, we, had new, we have new air handlers in here, new air conditioners, and, we, and he still put enough hot air in here to heat it up. Nebuchadnezzar considers himself Lord of the earth. And he gathers his allies to begin a campaign. But Israel refuses. Now, Nebuchadnezzar at that time is Lord of pretty much his region. And that includes Israel. And he's going to go on a military campaign. So he goes to everybody and says, like if you're in NATO, goes to everybody and says, you're going to contribute to my campaign. And Israel says no. And then calls him, you are only one man you know you would have thought that Nebuchadnezzar would have learned by now we know him most from the story of Daniel and the dream if you remember that the dream of the different levels there's a there's a, there's steel and there's iron and there's copper mixing your clay all of that your bronze and gold all of that's there um, I said steel you knew better um, iron than copper we know him most from that story and from that dream. And the most famous painting of him is the time that God made him crazy. William Blake painted that, if you know anything about that poet and painter. Um, he, um, remember he went mad for a period of years and ate grass like ox and like an ox and like... That's the most famous... Isn't it interesting? He considered himself the greatest of all men and the leader of the world, and that's how we remember him. It's hard to find a painting. I tried. I find, I find a painting of Nebuchadnezzar as ruler. You find him as madman. Well, he vows revenge against the people of the West, he calls them, the Jews. And he leads his forces against those cities which protect Israel, including Ekban, Ekbatana, which was an important city at the time. And he had a great general, called Holofernes, or Holofernes. Nebuchadnezzar declares that with his own hand, he, the Lord of the whole earth, will destroy the people of Israel. What did he just call himself? What did Nebuchadnezzar just call himself? The Lord of the whole earth. Ah, that's not smart. Remember what I told you. All despots, all kings, queens, dukes, lords, and the like, all of them have something in common. They're either dead or they're going to be. Yeah, it's probably not best to tell God you're taking his job when one of these days you're going to have to meet him. Well, he says, I am the Lord of the whole earth. I will destroy the people of Israel. 
Now, if you look at the verbs in the book of Judith, uh, what this massive army does is horrific. Ravaged, plundered, seized, killed, burned, destroyed, sacked. We don't really get this. We don't. We have the Geneva Convention, which, yes, ISIS and uh, Hezbollah, the Muslim Brotherhood, no, they don't follow that. I get that. But we still, I mean, ISIS just a couple of weeks ago burned 40 young girls to death because they refused to have sex with them. Burned them alive. Didn't make our news cycle. It evidently wasn't important enough. Breaks my heart. What we think is important enough for the news. Uh, I, I think if they just dropped a few cooking seg- segments, we could get through it. But anyway, uh, they, they lower people in cages to be drowned. They feed them to beasts. Uh, Saddam Hussein used to feed them into wood chippers slowly. Uh, gay people thrown off of roofs, hands and feet tied and thrown off of roofs. It's, we look at that and we go, oh, that's Nebuchadnezzar's home territory. He would butcher people for sport. I cannot tell you this because I don't want to I don't want to make people physically ill. Those of you that are interested, you need to know. Do you remember the attack on France a couple of months ago at the rock concert where they killed so many? The the news actually suppressed what happened to the people in the theaters. It is now coming out. If you Google it, you will find butchery on a scale that just makes you not sleep for a while. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. If you were a woman, you would die via rape if you were lucky. If not, you would be raped and then made a slave and die slowly over several years. If you were a man, you would be emasculated, shall we say. Um, You would be hounded and treated as if you were nothing more than a goat, you would also often be raped, as they did to our ambassador in Benghazi. We know that, but that almost never makes the news either. That Why? Not because they're homosexual, but because it's a way to humiliate you, degrade you, destroy you. That's Nebuchadnezzar. You need to get this mindset in to understand the book of Judith. Because if you don't, you think the way that most of us do with toy soldiers. You know, our people there, your people here, and we, some of us fight, well, the village is over here safe. No. This was awful. The towns along the way trembled and surrendered, but they were still sacked. They were still forced to change their religion. They were to worship Nebuchadnezzar as the only true God. Some did in this book. Do you remember the, the fiery furnace story? Nebuchadnezzar never learned, did he? He never got it. So Israel takes to the mountains, just like David did long before, and they fortify the highest, narrowest places. There are places there, like uh, the Battle of uh, Thermopylae with Sparta, where two or three men can hold a pass against thousands. And they went into those regions, and they fortified those and guarded those. A hero is here. I wish we had more time to talk about him. Jehoiakim, the high priest who fights for the survival of his religion, the worship of the God of Israel. I was on a panel in Pepperdine a couple months back with a couple of pacifists who I love and admire. Uh, they, they love me, but they don't admire me because I'm not a pacifist. 
And whenever I told my view, they, the, the next guy that got up said, you know, well, I appreciate that, but you're wrong. And then he went from there. Got it. But God has always, always raised up certain men and women, Deborah, Judith, to be warriors and to stand in the gap, as he told Ezekiel. You stand yourself in the gap. Now, we often don't get that illusion. Back then, the only way to break down a wall was by continually ramming it with stuff. And eventually, you didn't have gunpowder. Eventually, when it fell through, all of the people, all the enemy could pour in. When the wall breaks, who's going to stand in the gap? And the warriors were raised up to stand in the gap. In Breton, those people were known during the early wars. They had a name. It's, it's, it's capitalized, called the Forlorn Hope. You can look them up. It was their only, if they survived the battle, which was almost impossible. If they did, they would be promoted. But it was always volunteers, squadron. We'll go stand in the gap if that wall falls. It's an amazing thing. Anyway, Jehoiakim was an amazing guy. This is not just, however, a physical battle. This is a theological battle. But only one side knows it. Nebuchadnezzar thinks it's all physical. God's side knows this is theological as well. God gives the victory. By trying to deify himself, Nebuchadnezzar has made this a contest against the true God. That's not smart. Seeking advice about Israel, the great general of Nebuchadnezzar named Holofernes, I can never pronounce the name right, comes against, uh, comes against Achior, and who tells him that Israel will not be taken unless it is sinned. If they have sinned, God will abandon them. Holofernes says, what God is there except Nebuchadnezzar. And he throws Echior into the land of Israel so that he will die with them. He taunts them, saying, you'll never see my face again. And he, by the way, in the book, you'll see that he strips him naked and ties him to a tree to humiliate him and let Israel find them if they will. Israel finds him. They take him down and they clothe him. But rather than treat him as an enemy, they adopt him. They take him in and show him love. Again, love wins. Well, the army of Nebuchadnezzar advances on Bethulia. Holofernes cuts off the water supply. That was the most common way of starving out a city. Cut off the river. Almost all of them had a river that would run through it or by it. Um, this one ran through it, and so he cuts off the water supply. Darius the Mede, if you remember, actually dug a new course for the river and then ran his people in through the pipes. Uh, Joab did, you know, did the same thing. This is a, a common battle plan in the old ways, and there wasn't much they could do about it. They have agonizing thirst. Most of us have never been thirsty. You know, right now, I'm a little thirsty. But real thirst is unimaginable. You can live for a month without food. You're not going to make it more than 48 hours without water. And it will be a horrible way to go. Cut to Judith. She's a widow. Her husband, by the way, died of a heat stroke during the barley harvest. Uh, I don't know why they felt like we needed to know that, but I guess it gives her backstory. And everybody loves Judith because she feared God, quote, with a great devotion. She's just a sweet, holy woman. Now, the weapon God chooses to use against Holofernes and the great army is going to be a childless widow. Now, why do we say childless widow? Okay. 
If you're a widow without a child, you have no social standing in that time. If you have a child, you have a standing. If not, you don't. Not my rules, not just the way it was. But this woman with no standing, who's armed with only three things, the fear of God, beauty, and wisdom. The elders of, the, of, the, of Israel are ready to surrender because even though they know they'll be slaves, they know what will happen if they fight to the last. It's not going to go well. But they give God, very generous of them, they give God five more days to save them before they surrender. Judith goes to them and says, listen to me. Now, I like that. In the Old Testament, women were not shrinking violets. They led worship like Deborah. Uh, they, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, um, Deborah was a, a judge and led militarily. Like Moses' sister, they led worship. Uh, like, um, you know, they, some of them were named as priest. They were not shrinking violet. So she goes up to them and she said, listen to me. And she rebukes them by, for putting limits on God. You know something? Judith could do that to me sometimes. There are times that I've limited God emotionally or mentally. She looks upon this as a test to show their dedication to God. Not an occasion to test God, but a time that he is testing them. So she prays to God humbly, accepting that she might be raped or killed, but saying God can and will do the right thing anyway. She asked to be allowed to play the part of Simeon, and you might not know what that means if you don't know your Old Testament. In Genesis 34, Dinah was raped. Simeon is the one who took revenge in a pretty horrific way, and she asked, let me be Simeon. She's a woman warrior. Gotta love that. So she takes off her widow's clothes and she makes herself beautiful again. And she takes along her maid and, and food. Uh, this is an old movie slide of Judith. Uh, I actually have better slides and I thought I'd sent those. I'm sorry, these are the old decrepit ones. Um, she, takes, she makes herself beautiful again. She takes along her maid and food that she can eat. And when she passes through the gates, the elders are amazed because she's going right out. She gets through an Assyrian patrol by telling them that she has a plan that will help them overthrow the Israelites. Well, they're taken by her beauty. Uh, and in fact, one of the guards says, who can, who can despise, these, despise these women? I, this, I'm sorry, who can despise these people when they have such beautiful people like this among them? Well, Holofernes meets her, and he assures her of, her, of his integrity. Hey, hey, hey. He had no integrity. He was snidely whiplash if you want to do the old silent movies. He's a bad guy. But he says, no, I'm... And, and she says in reply, God will accomplish something through you, my Lord. By the way, ladies, if you ever want to get something out of a guy, just compliment him. We, you know, if, if my wife says, you know, I, the way you make the lawn looks great, we'll mow it when it's 110, won't we? Just to impress her. We wash a dish, we'll show it to her. You know, look at that. Wasn't that well done? Um... So she goes, He's, he, my Lord, God will accomplish something through you, my Lord, and will not fail to achieve his purposes. By, by this, she thinks he means, she means that Lord God Nebuchadnezzar is going to do something great through him. She doesn't realize she means God is going to make an example of you. So irony. 
little bit of pre-knowing. She says she knows that the people of Israel are about to sin, and that Achior, the guy that he tied up and left naked, was right. When they eat unclean food, they'll be turned over to Holofernes for slaughter. And she'll pray every night until God tells her that they've sinned. So she has five days. Remember she brought food with her? In a basket. The basket is very important. She eats out of the basket these clean food and water. Holofernes asks her what she will do when it runs out. And she says, by then, God will have carried out by my hand what he has determined. He's got it. God's got it. That's what she's saying. So she asks, and this is the important bet. She asks to leave the camp every night to bathe near Bethulia and to pray. Praying, remember, to God so he will let her know when the people have sinned so that Holofernes can go take them. Got it? It gets complicated, but novels do. Everybody with me so far? So he's not going to interrupt this. He's going to let her, his inside spy, go to the river every night to pray. And he's going to keep his men away because she's going to bathe. So she's going to be unobserved. By the way, once he takes Israel, she is his as far as he's concerned. He's an awful guy. But for now, he's stepping aside. In fact, on the fourth day, he demands that she have sex with him. He even goes so far as to say that if, he, if she doesn't, she'll be laughing at him. She'll think he's homosexual. That's in the book, if you didn't read it. That he's weak. You see, back then, if you didn't rape a pretty woman when she was unprotected, they made fun of you. Remember this, by the way, the next time somebody says things today are worse than they've ever been. This wasn't just Israel and Nebuchadnezzar. This was the world back then. She says, who am I to refuse my Lord? She wants him to go, he wants her to go to a banquet uh, before this takes place. So she goes to the banquet and she flatters him, saying, this is the greatest day in my life. I get to be with this wonderful man. And he is so disarmed, hey, hey, that's actually a play on words, that he gets drunk. So when they are alone and he is in bed, she grabs a sword and cuts off his head. Probably not what he was looking for. The Bible says it took twice to do it because evidently he was thick-headed and, or maybe she was just not heavily muscled. But she had time because everybody was supposed to leave them alone. Her bag is almost empty. She's been eating out of it. She has a basket now. <laughs> yeah, now you know. <laughs> she puts his head in it. Uh, and she leaves at the same time that she would always leave. Remember, she'd set up a pattern. I leave every day at this time. So when she leaves the tent, all the guards are going, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. they probably don't do it in the French way. Oh, oh, oh. I don't know what they, I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to do Babylonian, you know, so anyway. Uh, and she's probably just smiling and winking with her basket. She always has her basket. Don't question the basket. We all know about the basket. And she always leaves this time of day and walks down this way. So there's no question. Everybody knows, leave her alone. She belongs to the big, powerful general. And she walks all the way home. And when she gets home, they say, what have you been doing? And she goes, well, just this. <laughs> wow. Everybody's pretty surprised. 
And they call Ek, uh, Akior back over, and they say, is this, is this really him? Because back then they didn't do artist depictions, I guess. <laughs> they held up the head, and they go, yeah, that's him. Well, top bit. Um, he sees it, by the way, and I, I think this is, ladies, you'll like this. Um, when he sees it, he faints away. The scripture says, like a girl. But um, don't be offended by the like a girl thing, because again, that's irony, because in the book of Judith, the women are the heroes. The men are the silly, the gluttonous, the rapacious, the cowards. Sadly, that's often true. Sadly, a lot of us wouldn't do much without the prodding of a woman. Right? Guys? What, what does your bachelor pad look like? See? Chaos. Or um, I can, there are times that my, my wife will wake me up and say she heard a noise. When I'm on my own, I don't care noises. Well, go noise. But whenever she's there, I feel like I've got to act like I'm brave. You know, so I stumble around yelling at things in the dark and come back in. But, but again, they, uh, it's, it's, this, is, this is important. Uh, by the way, when Achior comes to, he professes faith in God and becomes one with the house of Israel, even accepting circumcision, which you've got to admit is a tougher sell than baptism. But he did it. As an adult, and there's no, um, no painkillers, um, wow, that's commitment right there. The uh, army of uh, Holofernes flees in disorder whenever they throw the head over, let them see that what they've done. And the threat to Israel is ended, all, quote, by the hand of a woman. Now, remember when that book came out, Antiochus Epiphanes was marching through the streets of Jerusalem. He was terrorizing the people. He was doing what Nebuchadnezzar said he would do. What is this book designed to do? To rouse the people to say, if Judith can do it, we can figure out a way to beat this with faithfulness. We can learn some of the lessons of Judith. When the nation was weak, a woman stood up and turned everyone around. Think of Harriet Tubman. And I'm, I just hope and pray I don't have to tell anybody who that is. Think of the women who have stood up in history. Think of Golda Meir and said, enough's enough. We're not doing this anymore. It was the women of Northern Ireland that ended the Troubles. Do you remember the Troubles? Um, that's what we called them. The Catholic-Protestant war in Northern Ireland. It was horrific, people. It was awful. Um, I cannot even describe to you what it was like living in an armed camp in Northern Ireland. It was the women who finally said, enough is enough, and they gathered together saying, we've had enough, and we're not doing this anymore. We're not supplying our sons, and we're not helping our, our, our husbands do this. And that's what drove um, Sinn Féin and the other groups to Stormont, to the, uh, the negotiating table. It wasn't guns and bullets in the British Army. It was the women of Northern Ireland saying, all right, we've had it. That's it. You're not doing this anymore. The people plundered those who would have, been, who would have plundered them. Now, that's an ending of a book that Christ would not have written. In the book of Judith, 
the winning Israelites go out and plunder the stuff of of Babylon. Now, I don't think Jesus would have written that ending. I think that we could go for it as an allegory of when we win, we get heaven. Fair enough. We, We win the great wretches. The great armies fall, done in by their leaders' appetites. Uh, brothers and sisters, is it not true that our leaders have great appetites? What leader has asked for less power? In fact, we demand that they do stuff, don't we? If, if Congress and the Senate are different parties and nothing gets done, that's all we hear about. Nothing's getting done. I'm always going, yay. I'm the only one, though, evidently. The point is this. Leaders have appetites. It's rather like my father once told me. He said, the man with $3 million, back then that was a lot. He said, you know the difference between a man with $3 million and a man with three children? And I said, no. He said, the man with $3 million wants another one. I went, Wait a minute. But he had a point. Those with great appetites don't stop wanting more. I've not seen a survey done for about 15 years, and so things may have changed. The last time I saw it done, they asked every socioeconomic group, how much more would you need to make a week to be comfortable? Across the line was about 20%. If I made 20% more, I could be comfortable. No matter if you were making $8,000 a year or $8 million a year, we always want more. The book of Judith is a warning against appetites. And it is also one person can make a difference. Think of one girl under a table in a school in Colorado when the shooters came in and said, do you still believe in Jesus? And she said, yes. We remember her. It might be a Mother Teresa. It might be a Martin Luther. It might be a Thomas Campbell, the father of Alex Campbell. It might be Jerry Tolman, the guy that brought me to Detroit back in 2001. Jerry, one guy, is like an evangelism machine. Every time I saw him, he'd say, fill my sleep, because it's wet. He'd just been in a baptistry. It got to the point my kids, when they saw him coming, would say, we've been baptized, because he was just good. <laughs> One person, it might be one of you. It just takes one, but that one person has to know who really is the Lord. So, we've taken a quick look at the book of Judith. Do you have questions about this book or the Apocrypha or about Scripture in general? Yes, John. Oh, I actually have not uh, addressed that. He asked, has the Apocrypha gone through translations like the rest of Scripture has gone through translations? And the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, There are more modern translations of it which make it much more readable. I tend to, when I put links on, I've not always done it, send you to the uh, Catholic's Bishop's Bible, which has a pretty good readable version. But there are several others, Revised Standard Version, has a good readable version of it as well. Um, Wow, you've caught me off guard there. I'm not really sure if the NIV has done it. 
But several people have done, has it? Yes. Uh, several people have done uh, more recent, up-to-date language versions of the Apocrypha, that, which will not make things, some of the books, uh, accessible, like Second Enoch. But First Enoch, First Maccabees, Judith, makes them quite interesting. Great question. Any other? There's another hand? Yeah, oh, yes, sir. It does. Oh, uh, I, I brought up before that the New Testament has references to the Apocrypha. Last week, if you remember the book of Tobit, that was used in a question to Jesus. If a woman dies who's had seven husbands, whose husband, that, that was the Tobit question. In the book of Jude, um, Jude refers to uh, two books, the book of Enoch and the Assumption of Moses. In Second Peter, it refers to the book of Enoch. And so we, we, we see these. In fact, there are about 100 allusions in the New Testament to apocryphal stories. Again, that's exactly what we would expect because you and I, and this morning, I referred to different stories. I referred to different things going on. Not everything I referred to is scripture, but it's stories we know. And so they knew these stories. Any other? Yes. Oh, how was, the, how was it dispersed during that time? Uh, it was dispersed very much so the same way as Scripture had to be um, shepherded about to different places during that time. Been hidden in robes, you know, scrolls hidden in robes, hidden in vats of green. In fact, uh, when we find some of our old Scriptures we find, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, some of those pots have green or had oil or something else in them. It's, you know, we're hiding them with our produce, we're hiding it. And then they would have been snuck around to the different places, snuck, sneaked, snuck in the pond, whatever. Uh, slyly placed into these, these other areas. Um, so again, very much like I said with the book of Revelation today, the books would have been read quickly, uh, out loud, and you'd move on. Kind of, it's, it's not quite to this point, but kind of think of the way that perhaps when you were a kid, we weren't told these stories for some strange reason, but when you were a kid, you may have been told stories about George Washington, I cannot tell a lie, right? That never happened, but it was told to encourage young kids not to lie, right? We weren't told those stories because to us, George Washington was a terrorist leader, but <laughs> you... <laughs> Osama bin Washington. Uh, but, but you guys, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's a slander. Um, but again, those stories were told to get movement out of you a certain way. And that's what the book of Judith was. Any other question? I hope you're enjoying looking at these. 
Next week, by the way, is a more complicated book, First Maccabees. First Maccabees. And we have to talk about the Jewish wars. All right? They would have been a very recent memory when Jesus was walking, and that's why he alludes to certain things. Uh, so I'm looking forward to talking to you about that then. But our time is over. So go out there and remember, Jesus is our only Lord and God. God bless.